Welcome to Built by a Boss. I'm your host, Evelyn Brooks, journalist, award-winning producer, author, founder of In My Solitude LA. On this podcast, you'll hear unique origin stories, growth strategies, and meaningful insights from successful female founders and entrepreneurs who are leading conscious businesses and creating groundbreaking careers with intention. On our show today, Nikki Chu. She's a celebrity interior designer, network television personality, author, and CEO of Nikki Chu Home. She recently launched a product line called Nudie's Essentials. She shares game-changing information about what is truly required to create a successful company, why it's important to bet on yourself, and how you can elevate your mindset by changing your words. Thank you, and enjoy the conversation. Hi, Evelyn. Hi, Nikki. How are you? Good. How about you? I'm doing great. Thank you. I'm so glad to chat with you today. Oh. One of the reasons I wanted to talk to you, Nikki, too, Mm -hmm. um, I feel like I've had the pleasure of knowing and working with some really, really incredibly talented and powerful women in my Mm -hmm. career. And I think that you are one of them. And I think that's important because I wanted to talk to women about their origin stories and also their growth strategies. And then also the creative process that kind of happened along the way. And what I love about talking to people that I know is that I've had a chance to actually be a witness to their journey. When we met, you were lifestyle design expert on Tyra. And now you literally have your own brand. You have a book, a virtual design school, celebrity clients, licensing deals. Your products are on Wayfair and all of these different companies. And now you're launching this new product for women called Nudie's Essentials. What was that moment where you made this transition from Nikki Chu's self-employed designer to full-blown, full-fledged entrepreneur? You know, I think that that is the misconception, right? Because you see people at a point in time and then all of a sudden you see something else and you think, wow, there was this moment that she pivoted and all of these things started to transpire. When in fact, I was always an entrepreneur. When I was 12 years old, when I was 13 years old, even younger, I had, you know, a lemonade stand. I sold girl guy cookies. I had my own newspaper route. I, you know, it, it, it's endless. The things that I did in order to get the things that I wanted. So that spirit was always there, and I believe it's an innate spirit. Sure, it can be taught. Sure, you can go to business school and you can learn the fundamentals of doing business, but there is also people that were born that way with that type of drive and motivation, self-motivation to want to get for themselves, and I was that child. So my journey and what you witnessed was just a small part of it in the beginning of How am I going to be comfortable in the rest of my life being the type of entrepreneur I want to be, but in the space that I'm passionate about, and that was art and design. So it finally came together 
when we met where I was self-employed, I was doing my own thing, and my own thing was in the lifestyle design space, and I was actively an entrepreneur, but of course not on the level I am now because it was still growing. Right. When we talk about growth and we talk about the strategy around it, innately you were always an entrepreneur, but there is a moment when I'm sure you woke up and you were making money in your sleep and you had a business that could exist and grow without you. What was it that allowed you to say, okay, it's time to create products or it's time to do my own line. I want to do licensing deals. Well, you know, there are moments where you're reading a book or the business journal or you're in conversations with people who are more successful than you. Mm -hmm. And for me, I started to realize, you know, having those multiple streams of income, these were the conversations I was, was having with mentors and different people that I knew that were successful, really trying to generate that for myself. And there was also a point in time where I realized that I just wanted more out of what I was doing. And there had to be a simpler way to continue doing what I was doing, but achieve more out of it. And that's where the licensing deal and developing products in that brand extension happened for me. It went from, okay, I'm doing television shows and I'm showing up as an expert and I'm doing interior design shows to, well, what would be the next moment for somebody like me? Well, that would be, I want my own line. And once I have my own line, I will have products and those products can live beyond me and continue to sell at, at, at market. And that would be the residual income that I would receive that would lend to one of those seven streams of income that one of my mentors suggested that I had. I love that because that's a conversation we, we hear a lot. We talk about you know, being self-employed, side hustles, streams of income, being an entrepreneur, making money in your sleep. But there is a level of education involved in figuring out how to do that. And I'm sure yeah. initially, while you wanted to do some of those things, what was the learning curve for you? Well, before I do anything, I research. I research and research. Understanding how licensing deals work, which was my approach to having my own brand, I sure couldn't afford to manufacture furniture and, and, and to the capacity that would make an impact for me financially. So the route that I had to take was through licensing. Mm -hmm. So putting together something that showed that as a designer, I was qualified enough to get a licensing deal, that I had the knowledge to develop and design a brand, that was the first step. How do you put a presentation together about yourself that would then sell yourself to another company that they would want to invest in you to create a product line? So the learning curve on how to pitch yourself, sell yourself, and present yourself to show up as somebody who could qualify. Then once I was in that process, you know, learning how to develop a product was a bit of being led by the manufacturer and them showing me what their process was. Part of it was understanding design because that's what I do for a living. And the other part was research and understanding what others did in this space. So 
there's a lot of things. And that word side hustle, you know, we've all used it all our lives, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I got to get a side hustle to offset some of the things that I want to do in life or my, offset my finances. But ultimately, it, that's no different than saying, I need residual income. Right. And when you start to shift your mindset and you use that terminology as a side hustle, because I'm a firm believer in energy and words and all things are affected by what you put out, the word hustle and the word side hustle doesn't make it intentional. Yes. That means that you're taking on any job just to make a few extra dollars. When you shift your mindset and say, I need residual income that relates to exactly what I'm doing, which shows up in the way of brand extension, which means I am a designer. So what would be the different paths that I could take as a designer that I would make money within the design space? That means I could have my own bedding line. I could have my own furniture line. I have my own design school. I have a design book. These are all things that keep me true to my brand, but allow me to have residual income related to my core interest. Say it again for the people in the back. You know what I mean? Because (laughs) this is the thing that I think is really incredible about what you've done. And there is a distinction between, you know, residual income and a side hustle. And I also agree with you about the idea of intention, because what I see a lot is, let's say they have a lot of different jobs, side hustles. There's only 24 hours in a day. So there is only Mm -hmm. so much you can create with your physical energy. So then that's the first thing. So then after you generate this additional money from your side hustles, then it becomes What are you using that money for? Is it just to create and purchase more consumer goods that don't actually go into the idea of what you're trying to do to be great? So there is something to be said about being able to step back, lay a, a groundwork for where you want to direct that income so that you're just not basically making money to continue to be a consumer. Right. So now let me talk about your latest business venture. This is something that is a completely different vertical. It's called Nudie's Essentials. Tell us what it is, why you wanted to bring that into the marketplace, and what your process was. Nudie's Essentials is a disposable, eco-chic underwear brand that comes in a small box and that box is probably about two inches high by four inches wide and there are seven underwear in that box for one week of travel. How I came to the conclusion to bring this to the market, even though it was a different vertical, I was solving a problem for women like myself. And a lot of times the best products that enter the market are, are products that solve a problem. And while I was developing products, traveling to India and China for many years, going to Paris and Germany to the trend shows, there is a level of, first of all, you're on a 15 to 17 hour flight. And a lot of times you have a backpack. As soon as you get off that flight, they're picking you up at the airport and they're, you're driving two to three hours in a car into mainland China straight to the factory to then work with all of the development process at the factory. 
you don't get to get back to your hotel until the end of the night, check in and rest. That's typically how production process goes if you are a designer traveling overseas because it takes so long and they want to pick you up that morning. So in the in that, you know, where are you freshening up? Where are you doing something as simple as changing your underpants, mm-hmm. brushing your teeth? You're in another country. When you land in somewhere like China, there's a language barrier. There's a size issue. The Chinese are, are smaller people. You can't just find your size in any store. Mm-hmm. There are so many variables to traveling to other countries and, and experiencing other cultures. And in that, I said, I wish that I had some underwear I could just throw out. It would biodegrade. It could be just super easy and seamless. I could just carry it in my, my bag. No one would know. I could just kind of freshen up maybe in an airport and, or in the factory bathroom, and, um, and, and it would just be easy. The other part is being a designer, I travel a lot, even domestically, through to trade shows to show my product. And I'm in hotels, and I'm constantly on a plane. Sometimes I, I get to be home for a day or two, and then i got to pack again and get on another plane. My time is valuable as an entrepreneur. I don't have time to unpack this bag, go do laundry, you know, and then pack another bag. I have to literally take everything out and add new clothes. And a lot of times I've, I, my underwear, you know, you have to go do laundry. Right. So again, I was in a scenario where I said, I just wish I could throw a small little box of underwear. I could just throw out along my way, along my journey. And, and then don't be a woman who gets her, her menstrual cycle while you're traveling. Absolutely. And then you're dealing with those kinds of issues and, and, and packing separately for the, that moment. So I started to think about it, and as I looked on the market, there wasn't any disposable underwear that I felt like I wanted to wear. Right. They all look like diapers. Yes. They look like diapers. They're always white with little flowers or bows or just, you know, just didn't go with my aesthetic as a designer. Right. And the more I looked into it, the more I saw there was a hole in the market for Mm -hmm. this. Mm-hmm. And I didn't get to this product for 15 years because I was developing Nikki Chu Home. And I just happened to get to a point in time in my career where things are kind of on autopilot. And I was able to really sit down, focus, research, and get this off the ground. I love it. So this is the thing that I think is really critical about this. Let's talk about how you fund a new vertical when you already have a business that is operating, moving on its own. Do you look within that business for financing this new vertical? Do you look to investors, venture capital? What process did you go through? The venture capital route, when you're starting a new business, that is not typically the route that you want to take. Venture capitalists are looking for some history, sales history. Um, they, they definitely want a lot of analytics, and they certainly are going to take more of your company than you probably want to give away in the beginning. Right. So that is something that you visit later on once you've kind of built the company up and, and you know, after a couple of years and you, you're able to really prove to them why you need the money and why you need to hold on to the larger equity because you've built it and sustained the company for X amount of years, and this is where you got it to. That's where the value is with the venture capitalists. Right. 
the side hustle, a.k.a. your intentional residual route, is the smartest way to fund a startup, which is reinvesting in yourself. So I had some money set aside um, in savings that I decided that I wanted to invest in starting this new business to get it off the ground. You can get bank loans if you have good credit and you have all your paperwork and documents in order. Bank loans are probably the best way to get a small business off the ground. But inevitably, in the very beginning, from trademarking to product sampling, a lot of that's going to come out of your own pocket because even at the bank level, you still have to show a business plan and prove that you've got a viable business uh, underway. But for nudies, I have self-funded it with a reinvestment back into myself from residual income. And I am now looking for investors to come on, which would be a friends and family raise of money to help sustain the business and continue to grow it. That's amazing because to be able to even get to the place where you have the the residual income from your businesses to start a completely different vertical, it takes time. And it also takes a level of planning because you have to really look at, okay, how much time, how much energy do I put into this new venture? Because it's you, you're taking some energy away from something else, even though it is on automatic pilot. So what are the markers that tell you, keep going, I've gone far enough, what, what is success for you in you know, that first five years of this new vertical when you also have this other business that's, that you're working on simultaneously? It's definitely challenging. You are straddling a fence. Um, I think a lot of young people don't realize the level of sacrifice mm-hmm. uh, that goes into becoming successful. And the only reason why I say that in being an entrepreneur is because there is this social media, become a blogger, become insta-famous world where people are reaping large financial benefits Um, early on and fairly quickly that it kind of skews the mindset of how hard and how focused one needs to be in order to develop something really big. Mm -hmm. And while becoming insta-famous and and having these blogs and, and being an influencer is great, there's a million others doing the same thing. Right. So when you want to create something unique, you want to have an exit strategy because your goal is to ultimately sell this company and retire at an early age and, and live your life and be set up. It requires a different mindset, a different level of focus. I do work a lot. I work uh, on weekends. Sometimes I'm not able to make it to particular functions. But that is a balance you have to work out, but that is also part of this. So, yes, it does take away from my other business in a sense, But I just allocate certain days to the new business where that day is focused on that. So I diligently have my other business and all the calls and everything related to that on other days. So you have to be very good at time management and getting tasks done, which I think is the key to being able to develop a completely new company while running another one. Absolutely. Here's the thing that I also think is important about when you choose a new vertical is choosing one that has enormous growth potential like you have. 
I was looking into the multi-use disposable undies. That's kind of what you're creating. So I found a statistic that said the global disposable underwear market will reach 7,170 million U.S. by the end of 2025. So that speaks to the fact of being intentional. Yes, you want to create a new vertical, a different stream of income, but also taking the time to do the research, is there growth here? And the other thing that I think is really important for a lot of entrepreneurs to think about, and women in particular, which is the idea of creating a consumer good, a business based on consumer goods, instead of services that will probably depend on your physical labor. If your work is contingent upon whether or not you show up that day, there are, there are only so many clients you can do on a particular day. So can you talk about the importance of creating a product as opposed to coming up with a vertical that is a new service? Well, currently I am in a service business and it requires a lot of heavy lifting, if you will. I mean, even though I have people to lift furniture physically and move it, each home requires my eyes Mm -hmm. and there is not a lot of growth. Each project requires part of me. So how many interior design projects can I really do to get to that next level? which is why the consumer goods on the interior design side came about. So as I realized, okay, this is a much easier way, then I can slow down on how many homes I design because that is the heavy lifting. I can take on projects that I love as opposed to doing so many projects, draining my energy and creating a high level of stress. As I get older, I'm not going to be able to manage running from home to home. This business also came about when I mentioned timing because I want to have my own family. Mm -hmm. And as I look at what my future looks like, being a mother, having my family, the heavy lifting part of being an interior designer became less and less important to me. And me setting myself up for the future became my focus. And what does that future look like if you just stop and say, what do I want to do if I want to be exceptionally wealthy, I want to create something, I want to put it in the marketplace, potentially sell it, and retire. Well, you can't do that if that service is attached to you. I guess you could sell a service-based business, but a lot of time the reason why the service-based business works is because of who you are. Right or your personality, or your talent, or your charisma. So when I say timing, it was because now is the time that I'm looking at that part of my life, and I say, you know what, I'm going to now create this product so that when my child is born, or this product is at least driving itself, and I don't have to be so uh, hands-on in terms of um, having to show up, you know, with the heavy lifting. Exactly. So this is something that you alluded to when you talked about your licensing deals and and kind of working with different people to create products and product lines. But let's just touch on that a little bit more in terms of partnerships 
it's really important to find the right partner. I had an agent early on in my career and I was thinking about partnering with someone to create a show. And she said to me, make sure that you are partnering with someone who doesn't have the same skill set as you. They have to have right. a different skill set. So to, together, each of you adds more value to what you're trying to create. So talk about why it's important to find the right person and how the wrong partner can also impact what you're trying to create. Well, I've experienced that. You know, sometimes we will have business ideas that um, completely work and are fluid and the partnership is great. And sometimes it could be a complete flop. Right. I have a very specific skill set. I am fluid in branding, design, graphics. I understand marketing, putting the story together, how to connect with the customer in terms of my storytelling. So some of the partnerships that I've brought on to my board for nudies is an attorney, mm -hmm. an attorney who knows how to, you know, get all my contracts done and we're working together on our exit strategy for selling the company. Mm -hmm. I also brought on a chief strategy officer named Danielle Serenzi Jones, who currently runs her own business, but she is on board as an advisor because she understands that positioning the company and the strategy that you need to have in order to run a business. So these are all people who fully understand. I've brought on uh, Krista Stelling, who is somebody who understands the analytical side of marketing. Mm. I know how to make everything look beautiful, but Krista understands how many conversions are we getting with your beautiful imagery and all of the assets you're creating. Where do we need to position it? When do we need to boost it? So everybody has a very key specific role. And that's how you have to look at your business. But in order to figure out who you need, you have to determine what your strengths are first. Exactly. A lot of times when we're trying to start something new, we're really focused on the ideation, the idea, and not really taking the time to, to figure out, well, what part of this do I actually know how to do? And then going from there to kind of look into your network or to find people that can really help you. And so I, I was reading about this idea of women and business and our, our networks. The article was speaking to the fact that women entrepreneurs, women in their careers, etc., don't always have the strongest networks or networks that are as right. strong as men. And, yes. and they were also saying that our networks don't translate, meaning that... No. We may have worked in this industry for all of these years, but when we're ready to make a bigger move or start a business, we don't have people in our networks to go back to, to elevate us, to advise us, to support yeah. us. And it also spoke to the fact that we don't have enough people in our network who control resources. And I want to get your thoughts on that because there is definitely some validity to those statements. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think traditionally men have been the leaders in business. Right. So I think it was set up that way for many years. 
there is certainly a transition that has happened where women are now becoming the breadwinner in the home. Mm-hmm. And women are leading businesses now, but that percentage is still very small. So when you become an entrepreneur and you look around and you are looking for the support of women, the women that potentially show up are also on that same hard journey and often don't have the space or time or capacity to pour into you. Yes. And so that's why it's important to have mentors, whether it be male or female, Mm -hmm. people that are older than you. It's important to do a lot of reading on business to self-educate because oftentimes as a woman entrepreneur, it is a lonely road Mm -hmm. to the success, but we have a lot of capacity. Yes. We have a lot of endurance and we're resilient. I mean, if we could give birth, (laughs) we could do anything. Right. So I have been fortunate enough to surround myself with an abundance of entrepreneurial women. Even still, as much as all of my friends are entrepreneurs, we still all kind of stay in our own lane. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, what we are able to connect on is the challenge in running a household, being a wife, being a mother, and needing that time for us to kind of come together and woosah. So we connect differently as women. So, you know, that's what I find interesting. There is a beauty when you can connect with another woman over the business that you're in and they are a mirror and a reflection because sometimes we're at different points in in our path. And, And just being able to speak to someone who has passed that pressure point already. Yep. It, it gives you the, the drive, the courage. It's like, oh, okay, keep going. Yeah. Now, here's the thing that I, I really love because I see the through line when you talk about having great mentors, having great relationships. You created an online, a virtual design school called Design Mecca. Is that mm-hmm. your way of being that through line for other people who want a career in design for for people of color who may not have that opportunity, what is that school meant to do? The school was a concept because, you know, I have a design show called Unbox with Nikki Chu, and it airs on Aspire. And I would get countless emails and DMs asking women asking me to mentor them and to teach them and I would get emails and it just dawned on me that there's no way I can personally touch all of these people. But how can I help? I said, you know, if I was able to put a design school together that focused on all of the questions that everybody asked, that could then create the curriculum Mm. and do be the framework for the curriculum. So I approached it that way. And that's how that kind of was birthed. It was the continuation of the emails and the questions and, um, you know, pricing it as a reasonable price point where you're not paying those high tuition costs. You're getting all the pertinent information from experts in the industry, people that have started the business, running a successful business, created product lines, so you could get the information direct 
there's downloadable homework, there is a textbook, there's forums, it's a video curriculum that you can watch and learn, take notes, and even if you feel like you are further along in your interior design career, but you need, you're lost, you just don't know where to go, you're going to learn all of those little uh, details in this curriculum. I remember you saying you had to create every video. It took you about two years to put it together. You didn't just one day decide, oh, I'm going to do a school. What was the process around the development of that idea? Developing a school is like writing a book, you know. um, Which you also did. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so you have to carve out what you're talking about. What does each chapter look like? What are you teaching? Are you giving enough examples? What is the fine balance between expression as the person who went through it and, and being teachable? So there's, there's a fine line in trying to establish that. Now, I've never written a curriculum before, but I write a lot of presentations. I'm constantly teaching, explaining how and my process. So I just took that direction. And, and then we had to turn that into real life. So now filming it, editing it, you know, developing the website, there was a lot of moving parts to putting this project together. Which I think is really important to say. We do live in this Insta culture where all of a sudden somebody has, you know, a line, a book, and, and there's a lot that goes into it. And sometimes they may or not be doing it themselves. Maybe they're just the face of it. So to actually create a brand that has all of these different extensions, it takes time. It's not something that develops overnight if you want it to be great. Now, you can just throw some stuff out there, but if you truly want it to be great, I think we have to really let people know that it takes time to develop an idea and to make sure that it's resonating with the audience that you're trying to reach. Oftentimes developing anything, whether it's products, um, a school, development time is easily a year. And that was one of the things that I did teach in Design Mecca. I mean, don't think that this is just an overnight thing. This is about really taking time to create it, make sure it's right. You're investing money in this. And developing product takes easily from six months to a year. You took a lot of those ideas and challenges that you may have had, and you put them in your book, the top 15 mistakes a design boss would never make. And what I thought was really cool about the book is that you're not just talking about how to create a brand and a design career, but you're also talking about how to build a reputation, right? You work with a lot of celebrities and reputation is a huge part of that. Talk about how you manage your reputation. There are so many moments that if you don't show up as a professional, um, you overspend on someone's budget, you're not executing, you are as good as your referral. Right. And that's where reputation begins. And that's where reputation can end. So really focusing on a level of professionalism a lot of women make the mistake of dating their clients while they're, you know, in the middle of a job, uh, overspending. Um, a lot of vendors that I've worked with, uh, even some of the carpenter 
uh, gentleman, will receive a check from you, spend part of that check on another job to buy materials, and then not complete your job. Mm. And so people overspend in different areas because they've made promises to one client and can't fulfill those promises. So, so a lot of that kind of happens in this world because design is subjective. And most people, if they think they're a good designer, can ultimately become a good designer. All it requires is having a client. So, you know, your client and your work is what refers you. And how you show up and the work you do and your professionalism is what makes them refer you for the next job, not you. So that's how this interior design business is completely word of mouth. It's like you have control of your reputation. That's right. Every choice you make dictates what your reputation will be or will not be. That's right. Let's talk about being a boss. We hear this phrase and I wanted to kind of reinvent what that means. Because sometimes we think being a boss is having the most Instagram followers. What is that definition for you? I think it's cute that everybody's using the word to describe themselves and to elevate self-esteem and to position oneself to appear important. But I don't relate to being a boss. I relate to being a CEO. Yes, yes. And being a CEO means you run a business, you wake up every morning, you have professional conversations, you show up, you're on time, you set meetings, you move a business forward. That does not mean you are posting, hashtagging, I'm a boss on social media. Because majority of people who are CEOs don't even have time to do that. So... I think there's a big difference in how you describe yourself. Just like I was saying in terms of what words you use, are you a boss with a bunch of side hustles? Are you a CEO with brand extension and residual income? Yes. Taking the words and re-examining what they mean and then putting action and energy behind them to make things happen in your life. That's it. So what final advice would you give our listeners who are on the journey, deep in the journey, creating new verticals, what, what are your final thoughts, Nikki Chu? My final thoughts are there are going to be moments where you want to throw the towel in because we all have them. There'll be moments where it seems confusing and you're not sure why you decided to invest every dollar you had into this particular idea. But if you got this far and you've had results, you've had a positive experience, people are responding to your product or your service, that is the little glimpses of motivation that you have to pull from to continue to forge forward. Creating your own lane, your own path, your own identity is hard because ultimately, you're standing in a truth saying, I created this because I felt there was a need or there was nothing out there like this, or I believe that this will work. And those are the things you have to keep going back to. The other thing that really works is listening to other people's stories, other entrepreneurial stories. Mm -hmm. There are podcasts like this 
There are other podcasts. There are things on YouTube to find the motivation when you start to feel like lost and confused or, or you're asking yourself why. But ultimately, at the end of the day, we have one life to live. And if this is your passion and this is what you want to do, stick to it because ultimately we all get that moment. We are blessed with the outcome that we truly desire and want it for ourselves. Amazing. Amazing. Where can people reach you, learn more about your work? Yeah, on Instagram, it's uh, at Nikki Chu Home. My thriving, successful business, nudies.shop. That's the website, www.nudies.shop. And the Instagram is also the same, at nudies.shop on IG. Facebook, we're Nudies Essential. And uh, that is where you'll see a lot of my action um, because this is a business I'm super passionate about and I'm getting it off the ground and I am definitely there with everybody else who's trying to get a brand off the ground, even though I have one that's successful and it's, it's running itself. I'm, I'm back in the trenches. So trying to find that self-motivation and every time I get one order or one comment on Instagram on how cool it is, that's what fuels my passion and my energy to keep going. Nikki Chu, thank you so much. Thank you, Miss Brooks. <laughs> thank oh, you. I so enjoyed our conversation. I think that our listeners awesome. are going to love you. Everybody, like, give us your comments, your thoughts about some of the things yeah. Nikki had to say. Definitely go and check out her new line, Nudie's Essentials. Thank you, everybody. Awesome. Thank you. I'm Evelyn Brooks, and you've been listening to Built by a Boss. I hope you enjoyed the show. You can subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite place. If you like what you heard today, please consider giving us a five-star review and a comment. You can also follow us on Instagram at Built by a Boss, visit our website, and join our private Built by a Boss Facebook group to learn more about our guests and connect with listeners just like you.